Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time to come and study your word once more. What a blessing, Lord, to be able to fellowship together, to be able to study together. And even though we're separated physically, we can be together here to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we need both of those this morning. We need your truth to speak so clearly from your word. We need to, your spirit to explain so clearly, to inspire our hearts and minds and illuminate. And more than that, you convict our hearts and minds to come up higher, our lives to be challenged by your word this morning. So Father, please lead us, grace us with thy presence is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Misplaced Zeal. And really, uh, before we went into lockdown, we had been studying in our churches the Gospel John. We've gone through about 24 sermons on the Gospel John and we're still not done yet. And I really wanted to finish this book by this year, but I don't think it's happening. We've been looking at other different topics in the prior weeks. But today we are going to continue in John chapter 18. Now we looked at John 17, the famous prayer of Jesus. Uh, not as famous as the Lord's Prayer, but this is that chapter that He prays aloud in the presence of the disciples for His disciples that they may be one, just as Christ was one with the Father, that they might be one in Christ. And so He's finished communion with them, having that last supper, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and just as he's finishing praying these prayers. And what's very interesting in the Gospel of John is what is not recorded is the prayer of Jesus where he's saying, Father, please take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink it. It's not actually in there. But a greater prayer has been replaced and it's focusing on the disciples. So anyways, he, he's finished praying and now comes Judas who has betrayed Jesus, he comes in to arrest Christ and take him away to lead him out to judgment, to quote-unquote teach him a lesson. And they're ready to take Christ. And who steps in but the ever-ready Peter? And what does he do? Look at what the Bible says in John 18 verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. This is the only place, friends, of the four Gospels that we see Peter's name mentioned, that he was one that drew the sword, and also that we know the servant who had his ear cut off. His name was Malchus. And John is the only one that gives us extra details. But you know, first, when we read this passage, we're thinking, number one, Peter, where on earth did you get the sword from? Come on, you're a fisherman. And not only that, for the past three and a half years, you've been the disciple of Christ. Why are you holding on to a sword? And, you know, maybe he took the words of Jesus too literally when he said in Luke chapter 22 and verse 36 and 37, Then said he, Jesus, unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. But you know, when Jesus said here, sell your garment and go buy a sword, Jesus was not being literal. He was not. Why? Look, Peter must have missed the point because right after that, look at what happens in verse 38. And they, the disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, behold, 
Here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Jesus did not approve of the two swords that they pulled out. Say, hey, Christ, we don't have to sell. We got swords here. He's like, no, that's enough. That's not what I'm referring to. And if Jesus really had meant for them to fight, in the book of Acts, they would have had swords to fight. You know, after 40 days, Jesus might have reprimanded the, uh, during the 40 days after um, Jesus resurrected, he might have told the disciples, where did you get your swords? Why didn't you get your swords? How come you didn't fight? And we would have seen a whole lot of fighting with swords in the book of Acts, isn't it? But we never did. Jesus was never talking about literal swords. There is something that we are instructed to buy though. In Proverbs 23 and verse 23, it says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. We are told to buy the truth. And that is what Jesus was referring to. Not a literal sword made out of metal, but the sword of the Spirit, which we know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, is the Word of God. We are to buy truth. We are to buy the Word of God. Meaning, friends, we are not to spare any expense to be able to get the Bible in our hands, to be able to receive the Word of God. If that means just we sleep a little less so that we can come to church on time to catch the Word of God in Sabbath school, not divine service, but in Sabbath school first and then in divine service, then we can grow. Then we can seek for wisdom. Then we can seek for knowledge. Then we can seek for understanding. We got to buy the truth. We got to make sacrifices to get the Word of God in our hearts. And it will come back, friends, as a double blessing to you eventually. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, friends, Maybe you might still be having lunch. Just eat a bit faster. Or, or maybe just eat while you're studying together. Come and make sure you buy and sacrifice for the truth, the Word of God. So firstly, Peter, what are you doing with a literal sword? But secondly, Peter, when he drew his sword out, when they came to arrest Jesus, do you know that Peter was not aiming for the ear? He was not. Look, he was either chopping top down to cut his ear, maybe, but then he would have chopped his shoulder, right? Or he was going across, aiming for the neck, and maybe the angel of the Lord deflected it, and it went up and cut off his ear. But Peter was not aiming for the ear only. He was planning to take the life of this man. Peter, what were you thinking? Three and a half years walking with Jesus and you're still acting like a murderer. It was only supernatural intervention that prevented Peter from killing this man. Friends, this is what we call misplaced zeal. Misplaced zeal. Look at Luke's account of this situation where Peter cut off the ear of the servant. Luke 22, 49 to 51. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. You see, in verse 49, someone asked God, uh, Jesus, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And straight away in verse 50, before Jesus can say anything, Peter reacts and goes and aims for the neck of this servant. He's so rash, misplaced, zeal, zealous, but wrong, chopping, 
and not following the Lord's orders. Had Jesus asked for literal swords to be used, he would not have gotten on the ground there and picked up the man's ear that fell off and healed him in that very instant. No, friends, Jesus was not referring to literal swords. But you know, I think that we can all have misplaced or mistaken zeal in our lives, thinking that we're zealous for the cause of God when in fact we're acting in opposition to it, acting out of personal preference and personal emotions and things that we have felt were right rather than consulting with God. I want you to consider Saul, who became Paul. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had a whole lot of zeal. He was the foremost in persecuting and killing Stephen. He was the one that was hauling people off to prison and sentencing them to death. He had a whole lot of zeal, but it was misplaced. It was misunderstood. It was not from God. It was mistaken zeal. He was the instigator behind all this persecution that was taking place. He was the man that was leading the charge of it. And the Pharisees and all the Sanhedrin, they were so happy to have Paul in their ranks. And he was on his way to Damascus to persecute more of Christ's disciples when God arrested him along the way and opened his eyes and shone light into his soul. And I don't doubt that Paul, he was sincere. But he was sincerely wrong. And friends, we can be so, so sincerely wrong that we are led down the wrong path, that we're blinded to the actions of what we are doing. The scribes and Pharisees were probably sincere in Christ's day. And under the pressure of that zeal, they, they crucified the Lord of glory. It must have taken an awful amount of sincerity in the case of some to have been able to believe that the cruelties they were practicing were really pleasing to God. Killing a man, plotting the death of a man. And Saul, here he was, plotting the death of the whole Christian church. He had misplaced zeal. He was fighting a cause that God had not told him to fight for. Sincere, but zealously wrong. In Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, we're also told, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, Paul, he calls this people of Israel zealous. They have a zeal that is what? Not according to knowledge. They had a zeal that was for the wrong cause, just like Paul before his conversion, and just like Peter in this case that we're looking at in John chapter 18. And they were persecuting Paul from city to city. They had a zeal that was not according to knowledge. They were intensely religious in their way, but they were not in the way of truth. They were ignorant. For had they known the way of truth, they would not have persecuted Paul. They are running and running well, but they're not running in the right road. They're laboring and they're laboring hard but they're not laboring in the right cause. 
we must be careful that we do not have a zeal that is not according to knowledge. But this must not dampen the zeal that God puts in our hearts, you know, friends. It was with this zeal that when Paul was converted, he became one of the greatest apostles of the early church that he could write down in pen and paper that he had preached the gospel to every creature. That was the sort of zeal that took the gospel to the whole world in his time. Zeal that helped him endure much affliction and tribulation with what zeal and earnestness he put into the wrong way when turned around. He put the same amount of effort and zeal and energy into the right, the cause of right. And we need this sort of zeal today, friends but we just have to make sure that it's not misplaced, but it is according to knowledge. So how can we know whether we have mistaken or misplaced zeal or not? Well, the first is whether we are going against the express will of God. We must have zeal according to what is written in the scripture, according to knowledge, it can be checked. It can be double-checked. It can be triple-checked because God says, I am God, I change not. You can go back and look and re-look to make sure what is written down, to make sure that what Jesus told the disciples and what Jesus told Paul and, and what they've written down for us, it is there. We can go back and check. And Jesus, He had already told Peter what? Back in Luke chapter 22, verse 38, when they brought out the two swords, he said, it is enough. Jesus made it very clear that this is not how we ought to fight the battle. For Saul, when he was persecuting the Christian church and Jesus shone light into his heart and blinded him, and he says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The message from God was clear when he asked him that question. And from there, they changed. From there, they, they realized their mistake. But there's also another way to understand whether you have mistaken or misplaced zeal. Let's come back to the story of Peter in John chapter 18, okay? Jesus, he's already taken captive. He's already healed the, the, the ear of the servant that, that Peter had chopped off. And they've hauled him off taken him to the court of Caiaphas. And in John chapter 18, we're told this, verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And we know that the, that is John. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. Peter is famously known for his denial that he knew Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. They say, once is a mistake. Second, I guess that's still excusable, but three times of a denial, you can't tell me you were in ignorance, that you didn't know what you were doing, right? That's not a mistake anymore. This zealous man who just moments before had chopped off the ear of the servant now is following Jesus from a distance and he's already denied Christ once. He didn't even want to go into the palace until John came out and gained entrance for him. But then what happens? 
John 18.25, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. In other, other passages of the Gospels, he denied with cursing and swearing, and immediately he denies, and the cock crows. He was recognized as one of those that cut off the servant's ear, but even then, a lying denial. How do we know when our zeal is misplaced, friends? Firstly, when you compare it to the knowledge of what the Bible has, and it doesn't line up, you've checked it and you know that it's not according to God's will. But secondly, how do you know if you have misplaced zeal when we are to be found nowhere, when the going gets tough, when the hard work needs to be done and we're not present, when the commitment is needed now more than ever and we're found running in the opposite direction? Oh, friends, it's easy to preach. It's easy to teach. But when you've got to get into the trenches, roll up your sleeves and, you know, get your hands dirty, many people, they have zeal that is not according to knowledge. They're gone. Oh, they have knowledge a little bit, but it's not enough to have changed their actions. What happened? What happened to Peter? After he denied Christ, what was it that turned his life around that directed his zeal in the right direction, that he became the man in Acts chapter 2 that preached a powerful sermon and 3,000 got baptized in one day. How was Christ able to redirect? You see, in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus says to Peter, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Friends, this is a matter of conversion. In the judgment hall of Caiaphas and Pilate, when, when Peter was observing and he was seeing the trial that was taking place and, and Jesus, he was being questioned, he was being spit upon, he was, he was being beaten. Just as one person went and slapped that face, that face turned just as the cock crew. And the eyes of Jesus met the eyes of Peter. And in those eyes were eyes of compassion, of forgiveness, of love. And that broke the heart of Peter. And he ran out from the palace and he ran all the way back to the Garden of Gethsemane and wept on that rock for which Jesus just hours earlier had been praying for him. Jesus said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Many people that have, have a zeal that is not according to knowledge, that is not according to Christ. They have a zeal and an energy which does not rely on the instruction of Christ. They have a zeal, but yet they're not converted. It's possible to be zealous, seemingly for the cause of Christ, and still not be converted, friends. It has to be according to knowledge. It has to have the, the, the practicality of it, that when the going gets tough, you're still there. You're still present. We must have a zeal according to knowledge. That wisdom and knowledge that shines from the light of the glorious gospel today, 
In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it says this, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Friends, we must be willing to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. We must submit to what the Word of God says, for all His words are righteousness. All His commands are righteousness. We must be willing to surrender fully to God's will and totally. Otherwise, our zeal will always be misplaced. The preacher might preach the truth on the Sabbath, whether that's about the Sabbath, whether that's about our diet, whether that's about tithe and offering, or any topic that you might disagree with. And you might be going around sowing the seeds of discord and disunion and error simply because you have a zeal that is misplaced and you don't agree with what the preacher has preached. We need to be zealous, friends, of good works. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You see, friends, zeal is not wrong, but misplaced zeal is not only wrong, but dangerous. There are times that we can speak so passionately, but for the wrong cause. But you know, there's something else that we need to be zealous for as well. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Friends, we need to be zealous of spiritual gifts. But for what purpose? It says there, to the edifying of or what the word edifying means is the building up of the church. All the spiritual gifts that God has given are for the purpose of building the church, for the advancement of her cause. That, that can be put on the same level, that can be put on the same level with the talents that God gives us. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, you know, the gift of discernment, the gift of tongues and all these things, that's a talent of speech the wisdom of knowledge, or let's make it more in our modern age. What talents do we talk about? The talent of music or singing, or the talent of programming. I'm talking about computer programming. The talent of media, video, audio, design. The talent of cooking, or the talent of whatever you can think of. It must be used for the edifying of the church. God has definitely given at least one talent to every person. Definitely one. And do you know that cooking is worth 10 talents? If all you can do is cook, and I can preach, sing, and do all these other things, and only have five talents, your one talent of cooking is worth more than the five talents that I have. But friends, we have to be zealous to obtain these spiritual gifts, these talents, that God has blessed us with to use for the edifying of the church. Look what the pen of inspiration says on councils on stewardship 43.1. And stewardship, friends, is not just about money. It's even about how we use our time, our talents for God. Every soul that has made a profession of Christ has pledged himself to be all that it is possible for him to be as a spiritual worker, to be active, zealous, and efficient 
in His Master's service. Christ expects every man to do His duty. Let this be the watchword throughout the ranks of His followers. Do you see that? Christ, He expects us to be active, zealous, and even efficient. Let's make sure that when we when we have a task that's set before us, we give ourselves a certain time limit, and then we bend all the energies of our mind to accomplish that. You know, every week I have a deadline. I have to preach whether I like it or not. No matter how I feel, uh, how I feel ready or not, I still have to do it. And we have to set ourselves deadlines for things when it comes to work and studies. Yes, we don't have a choice for those, but we even when it comes to the cause of God, we got to be efficient. We got to be zealous. We got to be active. What else? Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, 196, Paragraph 4. We are to be active in our work, but another element is to mingle with this energy a living zeal in the service of God. Into our daily work, we are to bring what? Devotion, piety, godliness. If you carry on your business without this, you make the greatest mistake of your lives. You commit robbery toward God while professing to serve Him. Do you understand what this means, friends? We got to add energy with a living zeal. What is living zeal? Devotion, piety, godliness. What zeal is referring to is something spiritual, something related to godliness and holiness, something good. You see, we can have energy in our work, but we must bring zeal into it as well. Even though your work might not be religious of nature. You know, I want to challenge all of you that have talents, that you don't just use it for selfish purposes, getting a job finding what your talent is to to match to the job description that is needed out there, to find the perfect course for you to study, to find the perfect help meet. You know, too often we use our talents for selfish purposes. Oh, I can talk, so I'll be a good salesman. I'll be a good businessman. I can sell cars. I can sell houses. I can sell whatever it is. I can talk. That's my talent. But God, He wants you to add to that zeal, holiness, piety, godliness. Don't just use the talent of your speech just for selling cars all the time. Use it for what? Selling the gospel. It's called Bible study. It's called preaching. It's called teaching. Use this talents that God has given to you for the advancement of God's kingdom because we can have misplaced zeal, misplaced energy. We can use it to earn a living. We can do it for self-pleasure. We can do it for our hobbies. But friends, God did not give you this talents just for selfish purposes. It must be for the advancement of His cause, for the upbuilding of His church, for the edifying of the church. To some of us, we have a zeal for making money. You have a zeal for your study. You have a zeal for your business. You have a zeal for your family. You have a zeal that is not according to knowledge. The same focus and intensity, the same brain power that you bring into your work, into your studies, in raising your children, in earning money to provide for your family, into saving money so that you can live a comfortable lifestyle, the same amount of zeal that you put into your business 
put it into the God's work. Otherwise, many of us, we have a zeal that is misplaced. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the pastor to come and talk to you? Why not stand up and be counted? Some of us, we don't like to be poor, so we go out and we, we work hard. Why not do the same for God's cause? Don't sit on your hands and, and wait for someone to come and approach you before you stand up and say, oh God, if they ask, then I'll do it. If not, I don't want to do it. What's your will? God's will is for everybody to be saved. Before the foundation of his, the, the world, before we were created, before we were ever brought into existence, God's desire, the mystery of His will is to unite heaven and earth according to Ephesians chapter 1. And He wants to save every single one of us. But today we have a misplaced zeal, thinking that God has given us these spiritual gifts, these talents for us. For earning more money for living a more comfortable lifestyle. So I can shop at those type of shops. So I can buy this type of car. So I can live in this lifestyle. And we tell each other, hey, they're allowed to live it because they earn so much more, right? But friends, maybe you have a zeal that is misplaced. You have a zeal that is misunderstood. You have a zeal that is not according to knowledge. God did not give you the intellect and brain power just so that you can be top in your class and you can be the straight A honest student and get scholarship and not pay a single cent so your parents don't have to worry about money and providing for you. God did not give all of that to you just for selfish purposes. To the wisest man on earth, apart from Jesus, he gave that so he could judge a nation so he could be a blessing to his people. And when he started using it for selfish purposes, that glory became a curse to the whole nation. Friends, it is possible that we can have a misplaced zeal. The energy that you are putting into your work, the energy that you're expending upon your studies, if we would expend the same amount of energy on God's work, we could probably say like Paul, I have preached the gospel to every creature. Friends, God wants workers today who are zealous for His cause, who will work just as hard in the gospel ministry as in their work. Yes, but wh wh where will you find the time? Friends, you can make the time. You can. But you know, without such zealous people today, the earth on work cannot be finished and closed up. We can say that we're waiting for the second coming of Christ, but in our lives, we really deny Him. But, but going to church, that's not enough. No, it isn't, friends. It isn't. God needs people who are willing to be all and to forsake all for the gospel. Those who are willing to sacrifice time, money, means, comfort for the advancement of the gospel. Those that are willing to spend and be spent for the sake of Christ. Those who will not just refocus their, those who will not just focus their zeal on themselves, but refocus it in the right path, not on self, not just using the intellect for self and gain, 
but for Jesus and his gospel work today. Education 271, paragraph 2. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. Young people, you need to have a zeal and an energy in your youth, and it must be used rightly. And not just the youth only, but those also with older experience. Use the zeal and the energy that God has given to you to finish the work in our generation and wrap it up. Time is coming to a close. You've got to stop living for self. It's time to change your priorities and put Christ first. Some of us, were, were too scared. And the energies that we put into our, our work and our school, we tell our people, we have to do it. I don't have a choice. But you do, friends. You can reorganize your priorities today. Let's make sure that the zeal that we have is not misplaced. That we truly are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That we're hungering and thirsting after His righteousness. That we are putting Christ first and everything else second. That we today can have an energy and a zeal that is of the knowledge and of the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm praying for every single one of us here today. All of us, you've given us a measure of energy and zeal and, and, and the desire to do something. But too many of us, Lord, we've misplaced it. We've put it on our own selves, our own lives, our, our own thinking and our own thoughts and our own everything. We've been living a selfish life and we've been using these gifts and talents that you've given to us for selfish purposes. Oh Lord, please forgive us. We've got to admit, we've not been thinking about your gospel, but we've just been so worried about our lives. We've been afraid to test you, Lord, that if we seek you first and, and your righteousness and your kingdom, we're going to be left behind in the world. We've got to live a poorer life. We're afraid, Lord. But help us, Father. Help us to test your promises today because you will add all these things to us. Help us to trust you with all our hearts. And Lord, today, I pray that you'd redirect our zeal, that you would shift our focus and help us, Lord, to put our energies and our zeal in the right direction. Lord, help us to surrender. Help us to see, not self, but Jesus standing before us today. And so Lord, please, quickly, even now, take our hearts, for we cannot give it. Help us, Lord, as we make this decision, we give you permission to even come into our hearts right now and clean it all up and just turn our heads and redirect everything. And so, Lord, save us to that end, that today we might be a blessing 
to everybody because we have a zeal that is according to knowledge, a zeal that you approve, and not only that, but you bless as well. Thank you, Father, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.